So what's up? <laughs> what's new in, in Leyland? Any questions or comments? Or Too many questions. Too many. <clears throat> Give one. And get us. Get us. So many questions that the mind is not blank. That's the best way to make the mind blank is to ask. <laughs> are there any questions? <laughs> Yesterday, as Candace was leaving, some of us were talking about kind of this transition from being in the monastery and going out into the world, and um, kind of this resonance happened as we talked about the fact that somehow, um, I'll use my language, it wasn't necessarily what the language we used, but it's like some armor comes off when you're here, there's an opening and a sensitivity. And um, certainly when one goes back out into the world, you don't want to open yourself to everything that's there, particularly if you're going to a city, like a very busy city type of place. Like, what is this phenomena of what's happening, and how do we, like, how does one do that without closing off access to internal processes? I don't do that. You don't do what? Close, Close off. So, but, but, but I don't live in the world of competition, right? So, um, closing off must be a function of experience and fear, would you say? Is that true? So, is it, there's like some triggering and there's an assumption of already what that is that causes that? Um, I don't know, but would it, I'm just asking you, is it a function of fear? Yeah, I would yeah. say it's anxiety, it's fear, it's okay. you're not wanting to maybe be affected by things. Oh, okay, so it's also, uh, how much of it, I'm just inquiring, right? How much of it would be skillful sense restraint? Uh, I, certainly some aspect of that. Right. Yeah. So some would be good. You, you, you don't go out in Toronto and hug everyone and say hi, right? <laughs> you get arrested. Um, so, I'm just thinking aloud, right? Mm -hmm. My closing has always been <clears throat> either through mistrust, because someone has hurt me, and that might be quite valid, so not everyone is trustworthy. But the closing of the heart, you know, to me, it's always been a function of fear. So I have a, if we hire a plumber, and the plumber's a bandit, I'm going to close off to him socially, I'm not going to give him work, and basically I'm just not going to relate to him. Right? And he might phone me up and say, can we get some work? I say, no. But that doesn't mean I, I, I'd have a, um, a response of closing my emotional system down. But it would be skillful, wouldn't it? So, I mean... Yes. I don't trust the guy. The guy's a bandit. Right. So there's that, which seems to me a necessary thing. So if... I'm just thinking aloud, right? So you're in the office and you've got co-workers who are 
um, vindictive or cruel, you got to protect yourself. You got to put up boundaries. So, so how do you do that? And not close the heart. It seems to me you do that when you're fearless. Because when you're fearless, or when fear isn't functioning, then people don't mess with you. They only mess with you if they think they can get away with it. So if they have more power over you, someone like a, a very cruel boss, or, or some huge guy in the street. You know, so you could see how... But in, in, the, in the normal situation of human interaction, your, your, your greatest strength is fearlessness. Would you say that's... Is that true, you think? Seems to me, I don't know, for me, that's, that's a kind of... That's true. Mm-hmm. So I've seen, like, as a, as a junior monk, or even as, as a senior monk, when I was a, a junior-senior monk, because <laughs> I've been around for a while, but let's say even 10, 15 vasa, I could get intimidated by monks who were junior to me, but I was afraid of, and so they could bully me. Uh-huh. So anyway, so I think a big part of the whole thing is the, is the liberation of fear mm-hmm. from the heart. So here, you're in a context where you know you're safe. And, I mean, that's the idea. So I would say that here, when you experience fear, it's very important to make it conscious. Because it's a safe place to feel afraid. In the world of complexities, it's when fear comes up, it's hard to explore it because you're protecting yourself. So I should think, if there's any situation where someone is feels like they're dominating you, or you're afraid to go into their aura, or you're afraid of the rules, or you're afraid of the ajahn, you know, any, any area of fear, if you can make that conscious, it, it, and just say, oh yeah, fear's this way. Okay, so then you establish uh, fear as an object, rather than being the subject of fear. So if you, like even if you're coming in, and, and uh, offering a tray, and you feel afraid because you've never done it, say, you know, that's a really good opportunity to look at fear and, sh- and get, get to that, that stance which, where you know awareness knows fear rather than you being the fear. Because that's a liberation of fear, when it's fully conscious and it's not identified as me. And then, okay, so you do that as much as possible in the monastery and in safe environments. And then, and you want to keep making that conscious rather than try to analyze it. I think the problem is you you can just constantly think about it. Say, why am I so afraid? I I shouldn't be afraid. But that's not being aware of fear. That's thinking. And thought thought of fear is different than fear fear itself. So if you come back to the Bahia Sutta, in the scene there should be just the scene in the herd and that, then you're actually using that in, 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 in the, in the sen- sensed, in this case, fear is fear. 
So you want to come to the purity of attention there. And quite often people don't do that. They're just constantly um, talking about it. Or maybe even a relationship, you know, I really felt afraid that time. You know, what was that about? That's still not really a being with the fear. It's trying to resolve it on a social, in a social way, which is endless. Whereas if you just know fear is fear, and it's really not about you or anyone else, it's just fear, then you start to establish clear, uh, satisampajanya, clarity of attention, mindfulness, awareness around fear as an object, as a kanda, right? So once you get that in place, in the ordinary, in the, in the unthreatening, that relationship to fear should start to, um, that awareness of fear should start to manifest in the more complex situations, because you've done it before. So my principle is always you learn about something in its most uh, unconfusing aspect, and then as life is more complicated, you, you tend to have more awareness of it in, that, in those situations. Yeah? And then when you, when, you, when you leave the monastery and you go into other situations, that fear is going to come out. That's what closes you down. And say, as a woman, you have biological fear, right? And then as a social being, you have social fears. So there's nothing wrong with the fear. But if you can then um, begin to say, well, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be conscious of fear as I go into Toronto or I go to Boston, you know, where, wherever you end up, and actually use that sense of wanting to close down uh, as a way of awakening to the feeling of wanting to close down. Maybe it's not fear. Uh, I don't know what it is, but to me it would seem... And, and rather than think that it should be other than this, I, I would just walk around and say, you're going to go to Boston, right? Mm-hmm. Walk around the streets of Boston feeling closed down. Mm-hmm. Right? But don't go into back alleys or into pubs where everyone's on meth, you know? <laughs> so stay in safe places. So logically, you know it's safe. But just walk around and feel, and then see what's the difference between sense restraint, which is a good thing in the city. You don't want to, you know, you, you know, you, you get really, really dizzy. You look, wow, look at this, right? So you want to, you want to be contained. But then, the containment doesn't have to be from fear. It can be from mindfulness, clarity. So then you make that, that you make the whole entry into another social model. Uh, the, the rather than think that you could stay open all the time, you just go, okay, this is change. All right, now now it's change. And rather than even think you have to um, be different, you don't want to go there either. You know, okay, this is it. And then you so this is this is the awareness of change, uh, and then and, and awareness of, of 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 contraction. Now, if if you're if your aspiration is the transcendent, then contraction is not a problem. If your aspiration is to emotional openness, it's a problem. Right. Right? So I would go for transcendence rather than any kind of emotional state. Yeah. Yeah. Having said that, if you are aware of contraction, you tend to see that, it, I think, it comes from fear. And by witnessing it, you tend to, have to come to a more open place. But your refuge isn't in sorting the, 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 uh, the, the emotions out. Because that's, you'll never sort it out. It is what it is. Your refuge is in, in the awareness of change. So it's kind of like, you know, you have a vase of flowers. 
and after a while the flowers start to wilt and the, fo- and the water gets foul and you change you know you change the flowers and get some new oh, that's nice yeah that's nice and then it gets foul right and that's the khandas but you want to be the container you want to be the vase you don't want to be the flowers and fear and contraction and openness are, are the flowers now certainly it's good to change the flowers and make them beautiful but that's you know it's not your refuge it's the container and that analogy doesn't go all the way because you know oh, I could change the container and so on so it's an analogy but but if you see what I mean right and and so the problem isn't even the contraction it's the desire to have the open heart yes, yeah. and so it's desire yes. but then again having said that the contraction does come from fear which is a kind of desire to be safe but the approach to it is not to try to become open but to know contraction mm-hmm. and then it should take care of itself does that make sense? it really does, yeah. it really does. so yeah. as much as I would like you to be a flower child I suggest be the boss <laughs> it's much it's much easier <laughs> I just thought that out myself yeah. <laughs> be the boss See what I mean? And, and our, our constant preoccupation with the content of the mind is not what we're interested in. That's the, you know, self-inquiry is not, not the mind's preoccupation with its content. It's the awareness. And then the content, it, the content does resolve itself if you allow it to. Fears will resolve themselves. But not through the desire, not to have fear, it's through, through the full awakeness to, to, to fear. Yeah. Yeah, the pointing to the desire to not experience the contraction. Yeah, exactly. Or seeing that as the problem. That, yeah. That's what I. Yeah, that's what you want. To hear the moment, yeah. yeah. Contraction's fine. Yeah, yeah. Openness is fine. But then your inquiry becomes much more edifying because then you begin to really witness what contraction feels like. Mm-hmm. And, and it is unsatisfactory because it's still coming from fear. But now, because it's witnessed and, and the witnessing of the awareness is your home ground, then it takes care of itself, and you find it, it fades out. So, like a def, like a defilements fade away because they're not being fueled anymore. So, upadana, attachment and, and craving, are our synonyms. So, yeah, like I used to be very self-conscious and afraid in airports. Horrible. I felt just horrible. And, but that was the place where I could watch self-consciousness and fear. So they were both horrible, but also uh, liberating, oddly enough. Yeah. As long as it's not harmful or dangerous. So you don't want to get into some, I have to look at all my fears. That's another psychological nonsense. They're not your fears. They're just fears. I mean, we, we don't do self-identity. You can, we do we do we do transcendence right yes. huh? <laughs> that's the way I work but when in doubt you have some more cheese <laughs> what else any others Does that not make sense can I just try to clarify it mm-hmm. one thing because <clears throat> that's 
mean, that's such a huge topic. It's like one of the most important topics there is, and mm -hmm. releasing fear. And everything you said, I like, you know, we've all been through all that, and the whole trying to tackle it by thinking about it, the story, the self. Um, and I've always tried to, <coughs> tried to understand it in the simplest terms possible, which seems like what you're saying is <coughs> just the, as much as you can, being aware of the, the feeling of it as an object and um, the awareness of it coming and maybe if it lessens or heightens, just the awareness of the it and the rest will take care of itself eventually. Just worry about that. Yeah. Worry about the present moment. That's why we say present moment awareness as opposed to analyzing why I am this way, which isn't really awareness, it's thought. So quite often we're not aware. In the, We know we're feeling fear, but we're caught in analysis of it, or rationalizing of it, or planning of it. We're not, we don't really come to the present moment in a kind of visceral sense. Uh, but also, you don't, we also can kind of be present to it, but indulge in it. So one of the things to do is just to, to like, I always recommend just, just play around with the senses. Like if you're, if you're feeling contracted, then uh, uh, do something like look at the color of the cushion. Change the sense, sense door. Not through repression, just to begin to play around with the fear because it can be so you can be so consumed by trying to figure it out and now I have to be mindful I want to just go to some other sense door or just just like like really literally just chase, chase the cheese <laughs> but <laughs> and don't get fat now but but to taste the cheese you have you can't you can have the fear in the background but to actually taste the cheese is a form of samadhi right and then there's the thoughts of the, you know, the thoughts of fear might be there, you know. There's also a taste of cheese. Now, if you're really, really, like you have a panic attack, something like that, you know, you're gonna have some, you need some blue, <laughs> some strong cheese to, to absorb into. But what I'm saying, sometimes it's very strong. It's easy to be aware. But sometimes we just mull it over like a loose tooth. We just kind of, we don't really, really know it as it is. So you go to another sense door and just like hold attention on sound. And then sometimes it's because it's no big deal. And just basically it's the, the old philosophy, don't go there. If it is a big deal, yeah, sometimes you just have to, oh, wow, I'm really, I'm, I've got a panic attack, that's different. But then it's just a habit of mulling over, sense of self, like self-doubts are like that. They can just kind of just occupy your attention and they're really nothing except thought. So rather than like solve it through thought, you just you just know you go to another sense door, feel the wetness of. So we use the senses now in a in a different way than the the hedonist uses sen the senses for self gratification. The contemplative uses the senses for presence. So we're doing the same thing, eating the same cheese, but the hedonist is saying, mm, I don't know, not a good year for cheese, All right? <laughs> Whereas the mindfulness practice is like really tasting the cheese. But not for the sake of pleasure, just for the sake of presence. So if you, if you do that, like, like when, when you're waiting for 
the meal here. And, uh, you know, we're kind of sitting around doing nothing. And you're just waiting. Just kind of get, just t pick a sense object like the sound of the fan. And really ground yourself in the present moment. Or, or, or just kind of look at the color, the color red-pink there. Whatever it is. Except for Nirasa, you can't do that. <laughs> He's colorblind. But, so you're starting to focus on, on the present moment rather than just be lost in thought. That's a big problem, isn't it? Just thinking all the time. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Goes on and on. <clears throat> Sound is very good. Sound really good. to like to really hear the sounds in the room now. <clears throat> you can't be thinking. You can't do both at the same time. So you actually just hear sound. And that grounds. That could be any sound. That's 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 a practice, isn't it? It's not just a theory. It's something that you do. That's work. You have any questions? I have a question. Yep, yeah, please. Um, I have, uh, like, I've, I'm thinking that there's, I have an issue which is like attachment. And it's like attachment to ideas and attaching those ideas to reality. I feel like those ideas, kind of, those ideas don't really allow me to experience what's the actual reality. It's just like me attaching myself or so like what something I think or what he's saying. Like I'm thinking all the time and I'm like ex experiencing, but I'm not, I don't know if I'm actually experiencing. You you've got a constant commentary going on. Yeah. Yeah. So you watch your experience as the commentary. Yeah. <clears throat> so, if you try to get rid of that, that's more commentary, right? So if you're if you're if you're making a comment about the color of that cushion, and then you say to yourself, "Gosh, I should stop commenting about the cushions and so on," it just goes on and on, right? So there's no there's no way out of there. But if you if you notice first of all that you're thinking and you notice maybe the mood of the mind. So let's say uh, critical thought is different than excited thought, is different than uh, fantasy, memory, right? Yeah, we, so there's kind of patterning that goes on in thinking. So yeah. if you say that, oh, I'm, this is worry, then that thought gets you to some kind of perspective of objectivity. Because the problem with thought is you're the subject all the time. What am I going to do? And, and what's going to happen? Oh, what's she like? And what's he like? And so that subjectivity needs to be somehow interrupted. Uh, the narrative, the story. And one of the ways to do that is just to kind of label the general mood. So a worry. Oh, this is worry. So I might be worried about going to a job interview next week. And... I need to plan about that. But as soon as I say, oh, this is worry, I have some objectivity. I'm no longer just the subject of the worry, the narrative. 
So that's a good start. Some kind of objectivity to the thinking patterns. All right? And then, and then if you can like equate with the stronger thinking patterns, like if they have a lot of emotional content, and then you start to say, well, what's, what's worry like in the body? What, what does worry feel like in the body? Because if you're worrying, you'll not only have mental content, you'll have physical content. So I would say something stronger. Let's say you're, you're, the worry is now into really, really being afraid of something. Right? That has a lot of tightness here, energy here, right? Yes. So now you take the thing, the narrative that you've been involved in, you say, well, I think I'll just see what's it like in my body. So you're not getting rid of it, but you're not, no longer just pursuing the narrative, you're investigating it, being more aware of it as a bodily uh, energy that's, that's changing. Now you've got even more perspective. So now, rather than just being driven by the narrative, you see, oh, this is a mood that comes up a lot, and now you're looking at it in the body, and that's non-attachment. Because as soon as you're, you're not grasping it with thought, you're aware of it, then that's non-grasping. But it has energy because you've been doing it for 20 years. That pattern or habits, yeah. you know, has been there for a long time. So you have to be very patient. And then, you're, you, then you find that your mind goes back to the narrative. Blah, 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 blah. And then, you, oh, wow, what, what's that like? Oh, that, oh that's, that's worry. Worry feels this way. You come back to the present moment. Not judging it or trying to get rid of it, but being really aware. Oh, worry. This is worry. Go back to the body. Mm. Right? And if you can have patience and keep doing that, and doing that you know, for years, right? this isn't kind of just one, one night, as it were. You keep doing that, then your default mechanism around this particular pattern of worry is no longer thought, but body awareness. Because that's what you're doing now. So each time, as you, as you train in this way, each time the tendency towards worry comes up, you know it in the body, right away. It comes up, oh, there it is. Mm. And now you have a choice Rather than following the narrative, you're patient with it, it goes away, and you're, and you're clear. You can still plan, you can still think, but you're not driven by the habit. So, you know, the, the, the thinking mind is, is, is a habitual patterning that comes from different ways that you're, you know, that you're intellectually, socially, your family upbringing, your male upbringing, all the rest of it is created. And, and so body awareness, uh, labeling the mood, and basically learning to come back to the present moment, with like the present moment, even if you feel rotten. You know, oh, I feel rotten. Fine. Rather than trying to always do something about it. So part of the problem of feeling rotten is that we seek a compensation. Distraction, the fridge, you know, whatever you like, uh, Netflix or... So the distraction then becomes just another thing that attention is involved in. But then it can't deal with the feeling rotten. So then that becomes a more complex cycle. Feeling rotten, Netflix. Turn it off. Feeling rotten, potato chips. You know, and, and then it's... So the mind is just kind of picking objects, but it's never really with the way things are. So quite often where you start with these things is you're, you're willing not to, to take a compensation or a distraction. You're willing to feel restless and just, oh, restlessness is like this. Or, or, or annoyance is like this. You kind of come back to the moment and feel, feel the negativity and just patient with it until it 
as it wears away, you don't need the compensations and distractions. You don't need all that stuff because now you've got uh, inner peace, right? Or inner strength or inner knowing. Yeah, yeah. And you need to trust that. And and the habit will be, oh, I don't want this, so I'm going to the fridge. You're, you know, whatever we do, or, or phone a friend, or whatever. No, no, I'm going to... And that's the, that's the sort of hard part of the meditative life, is you have to bear with a lot of negativity. Discomforts, fears, uh, resentments, memories. And, and, and so what we try to train is like getting away from the thinking mind to the body through watching the breath or just the energies of the body, things like that. And, and, and you want to make that your default mechanism rather than either a compensation or thought in thinking about these things. And you see how difficult it is to train the mind in that way. But it, you can do it. Yeah. You can do it if you, just, if you just create the interest around it. So you're not trying to fix anything. You're just trying to come back to the present moment and know things as they are. I'm thinking when I do that, it's like, okay, I'm, maybe I'm talking to somebody and I feel like this, or maybe it's not a feeling, but maybe I'm just thinking something and it's not like a feeling, you know, but it kind of, it like manifests in a state of tension. Yeah. But I'm thinking like that, what I'll do is like notice that and then be like directed, like direct my mind to get to... To the cuts. Yeah. I just, well, direct your mind to the body and then be very patient. Because it has a momentum. Yes. You know, like, like let's say if um, uh, let's say if I have an argument with this monk this morning, right? And then I, I'm sitting here, and then he comes in. Seeing his face creates the memory of the argument, right? So that comes up into my mind. And if I'm an idiot, I continue arguing, right? <laughs> but I realize, no, no, I got I lost my mindfulness, but I still have the momentum of that morning's altercation in the present moment because his face triggers that memory. So then I feel the tension, you know, breathe out or whatever, but I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to know it. I'm not going to... And maybe I won't look at him because it's too, too, too disturbing, but I'll be with the energy. And if I'm patient with it, then I don't reinforce it. But if I'm not clever, every time I see him, that idiot, idiot, and I just reinforce this relationship, idiot, idiot. And every time, idiot, you know, and, and I'm just like, and there's actually this, <laughs> it's me, it's not him. So we reinforce these things through thought, but with like bodily awareness and, and just like the mood of the mind without the narrative, oh, this is aversion. And then you see, yeah, I've been averse to people all my life. So what is the difference if it's Jack Harrier or Sam or whoever? It's still aversion. You're beginning to take responsibility for those, those energies and say, oh, okay, I'm just going to sit through this one rather than blame myself or blame anyone else. And as you sit through it, it you don't create any more of that. You don't feed the, the fuel. You don't fuel the fire. Yeah, yeah. And it falls away. You need a lot of patience because it has momentum. It has momentum, both of us, a particular incident in this case, and my habit of functioning that way. So it's breaking down a lot of these uh, habits. <clears throat> Thank you. So if you, if you, you know, if you make it a lifetime's work, it's doable. If you think you're going to just do it like on a weekend at the monastery, you just feel frustrated. Right? But mm -hmm. you, just, you just keep chipping away. Yeah. Chipping away at it. Yeah.
question. Mm -hmm. So it seems like it's important to, when like suffering comes up in your life, to be patient with it, to be kind of accepting or something like that. But then it also seems like there's times where you, you need to change something, like maybe a job that's not working or your sitting posture is uncomfortable and you need to make an adjustment. How do you know when to, when to do something, like when to make a change or when to just be accepting and aware? Well, you have, you know, in, in, in Buddhism you have two teachings. One is the social teaching and one is the teaching where you look at flow of consciousness uh, through awareness. I mean, you're aware all the time. But the social teaching is basically saying, live with good people, live morally, have a good posture, <laughs> um, have a good livelihood, uh, try to live in uh, tranquil environments and so on. So those kinds of things, livelihood, relationships are very important, but where you choose to change them is really a very personal choice. And what you want to look at is your intention and the patterning and habits that you've had when you've made changes in the past. So if you're in a relationship with someone and you get fed up with them and you've done it you know, like that for the last five years, you had 16 partners or something, then maybe, maybe I should do it different or something like that. So that's very complicated. <clears throat> but it's not a, uh, the social philosophy isn't like passively hanging in there. It's like being active and doing the best you can. So, right livelihood, uh, good friendships, very important, uh, sense restraint, uh, less uh, media that, that impacts you, more time for meditation. So all of that you have to somehow, as a layman, you have to design and figure out how you can do it, how you can do it best. Right? And then in terms of, of your own <coughs> um, inner life, um, if you're, it depends what your goal is. If your goal is transcendence, um, then you're, 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 then it's like the flower vase, right? Where you're not really bothered when you feel crappy, and you you, you can do something and so on. But if your mind is embedded in feeling crappy all the time and you're lost in it, right? You can't know it. You're not aware of it, you're getting more and more depressed, and yeah, you need to do something. You need to get out of there, you need to, you know, stand on your head for 40 minutes, or, right? So it kind of depends on how skillful you are in negotiating the, the self-views that come up through the moods of the mind. If you can be very clear that this is a mood and it's changing, and you can be the witness of change, then nothing's a problem. But if you're, if you're, if your attention gets so engaged in self-thinking around moods, then that is a problem, and you need more samadhi. You need more grounding, you need more kind of uh, focus in the present moment, because your thinking mind is just taking you to all kinds of places which are not, you know, not happy. So then you try to figure out, okay, what kind of a person am I, and what could, what could I do to help me stay focused in the present moment? And, and what kind of exercises might I do that would give me more of that sense of presence? So it might be, it might be Anapanasati, it might be yoga, it might be creativity, making furniture, you know, it might be all kinds of things. But somehow you got to get enough energy 
in the, in, into your practice, into your life, that when self-view arises and all these narratives of ego come up, you know them as objects. Because if you don't know them as objects, you, you, you toast. <clears throat> they just run and take over your life. So that's, the, for me, the, which we call the first fetter or sikhaiditi, or personality view. That's the real um, f- hindrance or, or fetter or, or problem or obstacle of being in the stream of Dharma. And to being in the stream of Dharma, you see objects as objects, you see fear as fear, you see uh, pain as pain, you see uh, sight as sight and sound as sound. You just see it as, as things moving through consciousness and your, your refuge in the, is in this awareness of change. And it's very peaceful. But it's very hard to do that because the self-narratives, they take over, like self-doubt, say, can be crippling. You know, am I really up to this or should I? Am I just going round and round in thought? And, and if it's spinning round and round, then how do you break up that pattern? Well, the way you break it up is to do something vigorous and strengthening and, 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 and present so that when it comes up, you know it as an object. And that's what samadhi is about. Getting enough of that um, groundedness in the present moment where when the habits come up, they'll still come up, right? But now you know them as an object rather than be the subject. So you, you want to look at where does, where do the, where, what, what self-narratives are the strongest for you? Where does the sense of you as a, as a person, what kind of moods are they? How do you get caught up in it? And how can you not follow those, those, those trails of self-view? For some people it might be arrogance, for some people it might be self-disparagement, for some people it might be fantasizing, some people might be gross sexuality, some people might be um, PTSD from having parents that beat them up, or you know, there's all kinds of ways that these, these things might manifest. But to see, to see it as an object is the challenge. So it's not just passively bearing with life, but it's also not trying to constantly change the flowers, which change that what Ajahn Sachit does is change the deck chairs in the Titanic. Who's the line? That's such a great line. Anyway, it's around. So because you're not trying to get it right, you're trying to get it. You're trying to get to the space of witnessing. And, and uh, I think modern psychology is always trying to get it right. You know, that's not our project. It's not, it's not self-improvement. It's, diff- it's a different project. Having said that, being, being a moral person, being compassionate is very helpful. Right? You do become a better person. <laughs> but that's not the project. It's, it's not changing the flowers. But having said that, it's good to, to bring some flowers and beauty into your life. And, and change the water, definitely change the water. <laughs> so if you bring beauty into your life, like generosity, uh, moral impeccability, um, compassion, caring for others, uh, caring for yourself, physical fitness, uh, taking care of your body with good diet and so on, that's like changing the flowers, which is great. And it's a, it's a, it's a foundation for realizing that you are the vase. <laughs> You're not the flowers. Am I carrying this analogy too far, dear Asa? <laughs> no. You're <laughs> <Being> ridiculous. <laughs>
You see what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So the, the thing about modern psychology, I don't think it has a transcendent aspect. Well, what the Buddha's teaching was about Nibbana, right? and the, the, the unconditioned. And so sometimes in, in the West, we're just trying to f- get things, you know, fix them up. And, you know, it's good. It's better than being a total creep, right? But it, 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 uh, it's a limited project, I would say. So we, we, you know, we, we create a foundation of good emotions and good lifestyle as a way of, of abiding more in that witnessing consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> Just um, one little point about the topic of uh, making things objects again, mm-hmm. subject. Um, more general things like thoughts that you are having trouble labeling or finding emotion things that it's hard to find where it is in the body, so things that are more abstract. Is there, um, does it just take more patience, or is there uh, like a, a skillful means of, of objectifying them? Yeah, don't go there. Okay. When, it, when they have no energy, they're just habit. Wow. Then go to another sense door. Learn to do that. Like, you know, like you're, like you're having your meal, and your mind is just, you know, thinking about the news or whatever, and just... You know, what does the walnut taste like? Mm. And you really taste the walnut. Because oh. it's not charged as much. So, yeah, yeah. that's just habit. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it's just habit. And, and, and our habit then is to analyze why we have a habit. <laughs> it just goes on and on. It's, just, it's, just, it's the mind lying. <laughs> so yeah, it just you're making a determination. And like when you're having the meal, say. Don't make a determination, I'm not going to think. That won't work, because thought is natural. But make a determination when thought comes up, you're going to taste the rice. So making an exercise of awareness of the way things are, so you know the thought, yeah, just don't go there. Just try that. Which isn't repression, it's just don't go there. Go somewhere else and enjoy the walnuts. But then you're not, you know, again, it's not like, wow, these are the best walnuts I've ever had. It's, that's, it's, it's not what it's about. And then if you exercise in that way, you'll find you're, you'll be quite more, much more skillful in, in just not picking up the endless, endless habits of thought. And that's why we say do things mindfully. Not because they're dangerous, but just because that's the way you get back to the present moment. And then, and then you tend to see how thoughts arise, you see the end of a thought, you see it more as an object. But it's insidious, isn't it? it it's, I, yeah goes on and on, <laughs> ad nauseum. <laughs> yeah, it's just habit. Like, like, that's exactly what I was explaining, like, what I was trying to explain, is just labeled it habit. Like, yeah, yeah, connection. yeah. Right. And do choose another sense object, because that really grounds you. You just, like, like, squeeze your hand, but hold, you know, just, like, know the, know the tension there until your mind reaches silence and keep doing that. Then you begin to appreciate the silence of the mind, because that's always there. Silence is always there. We're just, we're just sort of uh, removed from it by being in, in the thinking mind. You can always return to that. But then let go of your hand, otherwise you get a cramp. Kind of follow up on that this morning in meditation. I feel like I was doing some 
kind of realization and I felt something kind of like a tension in my like stomach and I started feeling really uncomfortable and then all day today I felt kind of anxious and this weird energy like a bad mood I'm kind of thinking about your advice right now maybe it's best to just kind of ignore it and like shift out of that or is there ever a time where it's good to like inquire like what's going on why am I feeling this way I would make if the inquiry is not intellectual yeah if the choir inquiry is intellectual, I don't think it'll work because you'll just be thinking you won't be with the energy. But if you look at more the Four Noble Truths, you look at desire, desire to understand it, desire to get rid of it, or whatever, desire is the problem. Right? And, and, and so if you say, well, this is the mood and what do I want? Then you're taking it right to the Four Noble Truths which is that the problem is not the mood, it's the desire not to have the mood in this case. Right? So if you can, if you can make that conscious, okay, this is the mood. So first of all, you're not just sort of waffling around with it. You're really cool, really present. This is what the mood feels like. You don't have to label it. But this is this mood that's been here all day. And what do I want? And then at that moment you won't want anything because you'll know it. But then as you meditate or as you walk around, because it's unpleasant, you'll want to you'll want to get rid of it, and that's what you want to look at—the desire to get rid of it. Now, if you're aware of the desire to get rid of it, and you stay with that desire, it will eventually change, and you won't have gone to a compensation. You won't have gone to another object. You would have stayed with this object. Desire would have ceased, and you'd have the peace of being with the way things are rather than distraction of another object and you go beyond objects right that's a very important part of buddhism is the the cessation of desire um, is is one of the ways that we talk about the unconditioned the deathless nibbana so in these little little incidents you have a, you have a, a perfect practice for four noble truths but then, quite often, we don't know how to apply that. We forget the Four Noble Truths, and we get caught, what should I do? What's this all about anyway? And we don't say, well, wait, wait, wait. What's the desire here? What do I want that I don't have, or what do I have that I don't want? What's going on here? And that, that kind of acuity of attention, that, that what we call Dhamma-Vijaya, investigation of Dharma, not through a lot of analysis, but through a simple analysis, what do I want? Because the, the movement is natural, whether you feel comfortable or uncomfortable, it's just a part of nature's change, right? So it's neither good nor bad. But the desire makes it more complicated, and that's where the questions come up. So I certainly investigated, inquire into it, but not with a, not, I, I wouldn't say with a desire to somehow understand what's the source of this uncomfortable, you know, because that'll just be thought. But the desire you can look at. And any time you, you, you remember to do that, then in the future, you'll remember to do that. So this is why we, we call it practice. You, know, you, you, you train in the Four Noble Truths by applying attention to that problem of suffering, uh, craving, and the abandonment of craving. And, and, and then you keep applying it, and that becomes your go-to kind of uh, analysis, rather than the usual psychoanalysis that we do with self. And, you know, who are and why is this so It's endless. <laughs> it just goes on and on. <clears throat> so it's, it's, you know, there's some very, very core teachings, the Four Noble Truths, but they're very profound because you can always apply them. 
I was thinking of that analogy of the flowers in the vase. I was just, you know, you know, Sri Ramana. Uh, I was just, um, Jyoti gave me a book of his, and in it he said, self-inquiry is not the mind's preoccupation with its contents, but going back to the source. The inquiry is about the source, and the source is awareness. But our our modern age tends to always just be caught up in the flowers and the objects and the things trying to get it right and we don't that that's why the ideas of like transcendence and the unconditioned are very important it's the only way out i don't see any way out but that's people think it's like too far away so they just remain quite often at a kind of psychological level trying to sort out their 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 problems, which is good intention, but I think it's a losing game. It's good to do, but you, you can, like, like, yeah, like just the very thing of contraction. Is that really a problem? It's not so easy to catch the desire. Yeah, that's the thing. That's where you have to kind of keep reminding yourself. What do I want? I used to have that mantra all the time. What do I want that I don't have? What do I have that I don't want? Any, and any time there's, there's any sense of dis-ease, that's going to be there. Yeah, I don't want you. <laughs> that's the real... You are the problem. <laughs> if you weren't here, I'd be happy. <laughs> okay, Four Noble Truths. There's suffering, there's you, and if you drop dead, it's the end of suffering. <laughs> I don't think that's what the Buddha taught. 